yeah, this, the narrator literally says, like, the rest of the world still thinks it's the land of the bush and the boomerang. But it's a bustling city. And yep. it's very, they say, culture has moved in. And you know oh. how culture has moved in? They show us a harp. I know. I saw the harp and I gasped. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight. There's no business like show business. Mamma mia, here I go again. My Man, um, I just feel confused and tricked, bamboozled, flummoxed, deceived. <laughs> so, surprise, surprise, dear gentle listener. <laughs> this is a um, Footloose situation. This is a Footloose situation. Now, we did not release Footloose for possibly this exact reason. Also, it was a test and it was not great. But Hello, dear listeners and intrepid heroes. We have found ourselves in a very silly predicament <laughs> where we fully watched a movie that was marketed as a musical and it was not. Not, not even musical. in the way that like we define musical versus a movie with music. No one sang. There was no singing. There was no singing in this entire movie. No, and I texted no Anna with like 30 <laughs> minutes left on this movie being like, does she sing? Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I having finished the movie earlier. And what's, what's really funny is that didn't even cross my mind. I was just watching this movie and like yeah. taking notes. And then when you texted me that, I was said to my mom, I was like, oh, that, that wasn't a musical. No. She goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> Like, neither of us <laughs> clocked that that was, like, the one requirement for a movie to be featured was on for podcast. Someone has to sing. And uh, there was one song. None of the main characters sang it. What song it was? It was a sing-along on a boat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why are these big group numbers being sung on boats? Like I Night don't of know the what Opera it is about a boat. <laughs> okay, we should say what this movie is, because... I don't think we we t- we said the title. We haven't. We just started ranting. Of this course. week's episode <laughs> is the 1952 film Million Dollar Mermaid, starring yes. Esther Williams. Now I chose this because the name was silly, and it was marketed as MGM's biggest Technicolor musical ever. It was a big fucking deal. And I watched the trailer for this shit. First off, trailers in the 50s, wild. No plot is explained. And they're just like, this is a Technicolor musical. And I'm like, dope. Anticipating like singing in the rain, like big unnecessary numbers with lots of colors. You know what this didn't have? Any dance numbers. No. Or music. Granted, there were a lot of synchronized swimming. We're getting ahead of ourselves already, but I think that's part of the reason why they marketed it as a musical because at the time, this popular concept of aqua musicals was was very popular yeah and so we living in this century (laughs) were confused very confused anyway welcome guys episode number 29 it is not a musical but it's too late and we're gonna do it anyway (laughs) (laughs) it was too late we could not watch another movie and still be able to produce an episode for next nope not on our timeline nope Um, because we have the time management skills of carrots and uh (laughs) never goes well okay this is a metro goldwyn mayer film 
as mm-hmm. we said, huge budget. The budget. Oh, man. Spent all on water. The water budget on this <laughs> film. <laughs> I do want to just iterate. This is inspired by a true story. Yes. This is based on a true person. They fully use her name. It's supposed to be like a biopic, even though they change things. And I mentioned that because there's a whole scrolling introduction where they were like, the stories are gone, but those who contributed to its fame live on in memory. And this is Annette Kellerman, our story. Yeah, about the Hippodrome. I, the Hippodrome is back. The Hippodrome is back, y'all. The Hippodrome lives on. It exists. All right, we start this film in 1900 Australia. Yeah. And the narrator tells us that... It's a shit town, but it's getting better. <laughs> yeah, this, the narrator literally says, like, the rest of the world still thinks it's the land of the bush and the boomerang. But it's a bustling city. And yep. it's very... They say culture has moved in. And you know oh. how culture has moved in? They show us a harp. I know. I saw the harp and I gasped. <laughs> So uh, this is this is the Kellerman Conservatory of Music. So as we pan through the outside of the house, we see different people inside playing different instruments. So there's the harp and then there's a violin. We hear some piano and then there's a little girl looking out of the window watching other little girls practice ballet in the yard. Because they're having ballet class outside. Yeah, sure. In grass. Wild. <laughs> On a sloped surface. Yeah. An older gentleman comes into the bedroom where the young girl is looking at- The red smoking jacket. He comes into the room. We learn that the little girl's name is Annette. This is her father. And she's not supposed to be standing at the window. She's supposed to be practicing her piano. Mm -hmm. And she plays and her father listens. And she doesn't seem super into what she's playing. She's also, what, five at this point? Yeah, like five or six. She's very small. And her father can tell that she's not into it, but he tells her not to be envious of others outside singing and dancing. Playing music can be a source of happiness, too. And he leaves the room, and then we realize, because we finally pan down and see that Annette has walking braces braces on her legs. So she's not even sitting at the piano. She's standing. She's standing. She has a hard time. Her dad, I just called him dad most of the time. I called him dad the whole time. He has a name. It's Honestly, it's Mr. Kellerman or dad. So dad was playing the piano. And he's playing along with a cello player and a woman bursts in and says, Annette is gone again. This is the housekeeper. She's like, I can't watch this child every minute and handle everything in the house at the same time. I can't do two jobs at once, Mr. Kellerman. And uh, he's like, it's okay. I don't blame you. Handle the house. I need to find out where Annette keeps running off to. So apparently she's escaped like multiple times. This is a theme. Fade to her slowly making her way to the shore. And I'm like, child, this is Australia. That's what I said. You're going swimming? Okay. She walks with difficulty because she is impeded by these leg braces. She walks down Mm -hmm. a dirt road to a... What do I fucking call this thing? I said like a river pond lake thing. Like, wait, is it... Is it... Is it the ocean? I can't tell. I think it's connected to the ocean, but it's not, like, directly the shore. I think it's, like, a little inlet something. Yeah. Okay. I could not think of the word, but it's shallow (laughs) is the point. It's shallow, and it's a safe place for a five-year-old child to swim. We see her father (laughs) chasing, like, looking for her. She gets down to her undergarments, and she goes swimming. And that's when I wrote, in Australia, crocodiles. Madam, 
There are spiders and snakes and everything wants to kill everything you. Everything wants to kill you in Australia. But oh her God. father sees her and he runs to the shoreline and he, he like wades in to go save her because he thinks she's drowning because he didn't teach her to swim. Nope. And he's shocked that she is a great swimmer, crocodiles yeah. aside. <laughs> and she says that she's taught herself to swim. And not only that, it's made her strong enough to be able to walk without her leg braces. And she mm-hmm. took her braces off to go swimming. So her father, like, carries her from the water to the shore. And she's like, put but me she, down. Like, walks look, around. I can walk fine. Yeah. She's and got and a little honestly, bit of a limp, is but very, yeah. very smart. I mean, water, there's the reason why water aerobics is a really great tool for physical therapy. We learn that this is where she's been sneaking off to, and she thinks her father's going to be mad at her, but her father is just so pleased that she's getting stronger, and it's giving her a bit of confidence. And he goes, we can come yeah. back here and swim every single day. Every day. Catch soon. We see she's in ballet class with the other girls, and she's keeping up with them, and she's competing in swimming races and winning all of them. Yes. So we get a big montage of competitions and trophies, and the competitions get bigger, and the trophies get bigger, and then all of a sudden, she's a gorgeous young woman. Stunning. And I have a question yes this takes place in australia this part you know who doesn't have an australian accent anyone anyone (laughs) the housekeeper was german i thought she was french (laughs) no she she, i don't know she was she was not australian is the point no and annette and her father straight american accents her dad has like a slight affected not quite british but like sort of i think that's him being a man of culture in a 50s movie That's fair. I'm curious when the Australian, what we consider the Australian accent today, sort of came about and it stopped being like the British accent. That's a good question that I didn't do any dramaturgical research on. Me neither. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Because I'm like thinking like what we know that the American affectation of speaking has definitely changed from the 1950s to today. today. So how has the Australian accent morphed and Dear listener, please do some research for us and let us know. <laughs> this is your homework. <laughs> this is not this is homework. Anyway, Cut so um, she Annette. wins a yeah. big award. This is like a trophy that she can take home and keep forever, which like normally it's like whoever wins the next year. And so she goes back home to show her dad the trophy and she walks in as he's seeing a woman and her son out. Now, remember, he runs a conservatory for music. She's apologizing, saying, I'm so sorry, but I have to pull my son out of his lessons because of the recession. We have to save money. We just really can't afford this anymore. He's like, I completely understand. Hopefully when things get a bit more stable, he'll be able to pick up the piano again. So obviously things are not going super great financially with this conservatory. Or just Australia in general. Yeah. So Annette shows her dad the trophy and he congratulates her, but he's not really super full-hearted about it, I guess. And there's a really funny moment where Annette wonders why the prizes are always cups and not something useful like a tea set. (laughs) And he does say he's proud of her, but then he breaks the news to her that because of the financial hardships that they're experiencing and just the Australia is experiencing, he's forced to close the conservatory, the school. He can't afford to run it anymore. He doesn't have enough pupils to keep it open. That being said, he's been offered a job in london as an assistant at another music school mm-hmm. and obviously going from running your own school to being an assistant is not a the bit of a trajectory but... he wants but they don't really have another option yeah and here's where i have questions about logic annette says Great. she's probably like early 20s yeah she says she can help she goes i you know i can teach swimming 
or maybe mm-hmm. I can even try to go pro. She's mm-hmm. clearly a very, very talented swimmer. And her dad yes. says, no, no, no. Swimming no. should remain your hobby. Mm-hmm. A career in swimming is absolutely a no-go. You should focus on what you've already invested time in, which is music and ballet, and you should make a career out of that. Yeah. What? Insane. That is an equally bad career move. It's bad choices all around. There is all no around. good option here. I know, I was equally baffled. I, but this feels like a very parental move of just like, this is the thing that I love and I have put you into classes for, so this yes. is what you have to do, and not necessarily like what she's actually good at and passionate about. And I hear that argument, but I've never heard that argument in terms of an arts career. I've always yeah, no. been like, you have been studying mathematics since you were two. Like, you can't be a professional swimmer. You're going to be an engineer or a doctor. But the yeah. idea of being like, we've spent all this money on ballet lessons. You know what you're going to do? Become a professional ballerina. Yeah, because that's definitely a prolonged career that will last you I well just... into your 40s. <laughs> Versus she had very valid going pro is a little more tenuous, but like teaching swimming. Great. Great idea. Great. Anyway, Anyway. they go to England. They go to England. Bong, bong, the England bridge. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) First of all, we're not even in England yet. We spend a lot of time on this fucking boat. Sorry. (laughs) So they cut to a boat Annette and her dad are walking along the deck when a commotion breaks out and what should appear but a kangaroo with boxing gloves on. What in the animal cruelty is going on? So and he has a leash on him. He has a harness. This oh kangaroo with the boxing gloves comes around the corner and he's dragging a man who we will just say now, this man's name is Doc, who's kind he of is his wrangler. Goon. He is our goon. And... The kangaroo clearly knows how to box. Someone put boxing gloves on it, and he dock in the kangaroo. They had to put boxing gloves on it because kangaroos have the biggest fucking claws. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, he will destroy you. What is going on? So, anyway, this kangaroo starts kicking Doc, and I'm like, this is obviously not, like, a full red kangaroo, or it's, like, an adolescent, because the full large ones would knock the fuck out of this guy. Yeah. Anyway... Suddenly, another guy comes racing around the corner and saying, oh, you know, he looks great. Best left hook in the Southern Hemisphere. And uh, the captain of this ship comes out and starts yelling at this man. It's like, I've told you to keep that animal below deck. If you let him out again, I'm going to throw you off at the next port. Yes. We learn that this man in the business suit who is encouraging the kangaroo to beat the shit out of a dog is like, ah, best left (laughs) hook. This is Sullivan, Jimmy Sullivan. Mm -hmm. And the captain reprimands him. And this Sullivan man tells Doc to take the kangaroo down to the hold. The kangaroo's name is Sydney, by the way. Of course it is. Get it? Of course it is. The Sullivan man then turns to Annette and her father. Yeah. And like immediately clocks like that. Annette is just gorgeous. He goes, oh, I hope the kangaroo didn't scare you too much. He flirts with Annette. Mm -hmm. And they discover that they're all going to London. And he invites Annette and her father to be his guests for the kangaroo's opening match in London. Yeah. So apparently he had a famous boxer that he was the manager of. But then this kangaroo came and beat the shit out of his boxer and so he's like fuck the boxer i'm going with the kangaroo which is wild so this is his plan is to take this kangaroo to london and do a big circus act jimmy could sell sand in the desert or at least he'll try he is a salesman 
to his bones. And he always is filled with like crazy ideas that he never really sees through. He's a carnival man. Jimmy Sullivan realizes he recognizes Annette. He saw her in the Mm -hmm. paper from the latest swimming competition. And then Mm -hmm. he gets an idea. Yeah, because her dad says, it's like, oh yeah, 2,000 people saw her swim. And he's like, that's a lot of people to see someone swim. So dad and Annette leave. And then we cut to our only song. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a sing-along in a cabin. Yeah, with none of our characters. (laughs) We see... Annette's father kind of sitting in a deck chair, smoking his pipe, and we see Annette Mm -hmm. staring out at the sea, leaning on the railing, and good old Jimmy sidles on up to her and goes, hey, would you be interested in a shipboard romance? (laughs) I'm like, this is a showmance, but worse. (laughs) He's like, I've been watching you. She goes, I know you've been watching me. Women can always tell when We always know. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And then he asks her two questions. One. How can a girl as pretty as you break swimming records? Rude. Rude. Two, how can a girl as good at swimming as you are do ballet for a career? Fair. Fair. Fair question. Yes. And then he's like, I have a question for you. Now it may seem forward, and I don't know, maybe it's too soon, but can I manage you? (laughs) So romantic. And that is fully taken aback. (laughs) As were we all. He says he wants to manage her, and she fully laughs at him, but then he starts to describe... (laughs) this carnival act starring her as like mm-hmm. a mermaid and dad yeah. very quickly catches on to what jimmy's putting like, down she goes hey yeah, yeah, no 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 not she has one desire and it is to do ballet and he leads her away he's like doesn't um, want to make a swimming career good day i said good day i said good day <laughs> and sullivan J- J- i called him sullivan the whole time jimmy doesn't get a moment's risk because immediately doc comes around the corner being like sydney's escaped and he's by the captain's quarters and suddenly alarms go off <laughs> in the distance sirens okay so cut to london Annette and her father show up at the gates of the Crocker Conservatory of Music where he's supposed oh, yeah. to work, and they discover that the gates are locked. There's only Yike. one person there. It is a, a groundskeeper. Caretaker? Goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no, the guy died. The guy died. <laughs> no one's running the school. Oh, my God. They've spent all their money to get to London, and now the yeah. job is gone. They mm-hmm. don't have enough money to go back to Australia and they don't want to go back to Australia because there's nothing there they've packed up their entire lives we see Annette pawning some of her trophies in a pawn shop Mm -hmm. she asks like the pawnbroker like oh do you have any connections with anyone in the ballet and he doesn't well he points to he was like yeah sure and then points to a bunch of costumes that obviously ballerinas who had quit had sold him and it was just like oh that's kind of rough yeah no dice (laughs) only tutus no dice only tutus Anna (laughs) that's what I wrote I love it great so We get the sense that a little bit of time has passed and we see Annette walking down the street and up the steps to a kind of shabby apartment building and a sign outside that says Kellerman Music, fourth floor. So clearly her father and her have set up a little place to live in London and he's teaching music lessons out of their apartment. She gets in, she unpacks what stuff she's bought and the doorbell rings and she goes to answer it and it's Jimmy and Doc. Then they say, like, hey, we're here to brush up on our piano lessons. Are you? Are you, sir? Anyway, so Jimmy comes in and he's like, oh, it smells really good in here. And she's like, yeah, I'm making stew. And he's like, oh, I was going to invite you and your dad to dinner. She's like, well, you know, stay because the stew's already mostly made. So you guys can just stay for dinner. She asks how Sydney's doing, the kangaroo. And he's like, he's not drawing crowds like we thought. So actually, that's why we're here. 
what we want to do is do a stunt swim of like, I don't know, five or six miles. We'll give you five pounds plus 50% of the day's take. And you'll just swim down. We'll tell the reporters. People will come and follow you down the river. And then they'll end up where Sydney is. And they'll come and see his show. Now, she's like, listen, if you're looking for crowds, why would you do something so juvenile like five or six miles? 26 miles, though. That's something like, real. It's a real swim. <laughs> and I'm just like, hot damn, girl. I So... Cut to a very foggy morning in London. I bet you that water is frigid. Oh, yeah. Annette meets Jimmy and Doc. Jimmy and Doc have a little dinghy rowboat. Yeah. They look around, but, like, no one's there. And they're like, all right, we got to get started. If it's like, I called reporters. It. Why didn't they come? <laughs> and Annette hops in the Thames yeah. and takes off. Who would swim in the... Th- I mean, people swim in the Hudson, but... this disgusting disgusting oh my god anyway she takes off and she almost runs into a boat like right away yeah and the sailors are like oh god there's a woman in the water she goes oh, here like here. i know he's like let me throw you a line to save you and she's like yeah. "Nah, i got this just point me in the direction of greenwich <laughs> it's like, like okay uh, that okay. way we then see a policeman kind of see her and realize yeah. she's not in trouble and there's this boat following her and then we see a ticker tape? Is that like what a bulletin, news bulletin, yeah, bulletin ticker tape kind of thing? Yeah, where in quick letters we see, girl in sensational, sensational swim, swim down Thames. Yeah. And we hear someone calling reporters and reporters calling other reporters. Suddenly it's in the new- afternoon newspapers, which her father sees, goes, Australians oh, swim in Thames. That's, that's my daughter. That's mine. So I don't know how they got that newspaper together in like an hour. But anyway, so. Well, the thing is, it's a long swim. 26 miles is a long fucking swim. I don't know. Maybe it was a slow news day. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so we cut down to Westminster Bridge by Parliament and uh, bong, the bong bong. bong. <laughs> English bridge time. <laughs> so a whole crowd have come to the bridge to like see her swim. And uh, Annette says to Jimmy and Doc in the rowboat, she's like, I'm starving. Can I get some food? food or anything and um turns out doc our lovely goon fully forgot to bring the picnic basket of food <sighs> such, so such sullivan's like drop me off at the next pier i'll go pick something up yeah. and he gets back in she kind of eats while she swims this takes all day we see yeah. the crowds get bigger and bigger her dad is now in the crowds and there's a mm-hmm. moment where he no longer goes from a spectator he nudges someone and goes that's my daughter that's my kind daughter. of taking pride in that yeah the day passes, the fog rolls in, and it's getting harder. They're worried Annette's getting too tired. Her face is all dirty from the filthy Gross river. Gross fucking water. And they get to the point in the river where there's like a big tide that's working against her. So Jimmy thinks she's going to kill herself. But then they see the fog parts and they see Greenwich and it's so close. And there's so many people there cheering. Yeah. And ship's horns are blaring and a crowd is there to greet her. And so she's like, I can make make it. I can make it. Yeah. She gets pulled out of the water and immediately reporters are there being like, what did you do this? I was like, how long are you swimming? Um, What's her training? Jimmy very quickly like wraps her in his coat and be like, all right, all right, stop this. We're at the carnival. So he takes her to his office at mm-hmm. the carnival. She sees her dad on the way. She hugs him. She brings him with. And they yeah. half carry her into this office. Yeah, she is Next time exhausted. we see her, she's fully lying down, like drinking hot tea on yeah. a makeshift bed in the office. And she's surrounded by reporters. Yeah. And they're asking her lots of questions. And she's 
having a hard time answering. She's very clearly She's exhausted. having a hard time focusing. And, like, yeah. they're talking over each other and not really giving her, like, a one-at-a-time, like, yeah, let me answer time, this question. Uh, cut over to Sydney's show, and absolutely no one is there. No, no one's, one's interested here. in this kangaroo. We see one person walk in being like, where's the swimming girl? And, like, yeah. joins the line to go see Annette. No one is interested in any other aspect yeah. of the carnival. Yeah, now so. Annette's dad comes over to Jiminy and is like, you have to get all of the reporters or get Annette out of there because she can barely hold her head up. She, like, you need to manage this situation. And he's like, okay, okay, I got this. And so he goes in and he tells the reporters that she'll be available for interviews tomorrow. But in the interim, here's this kangaroo that's fighting. If you guys want to go and report on that. And they're like, I'm all right. Absolutely they just not. Leave. Hard pass. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy goes to check on Annette, but she's fully fallen asleep. And her red lipstick is still perfect. This was my question. Where did she get that waterproof makeup? Because her makeup is consistently perfect. Well, first of all, this is a movie. Damn it. But second of all, I read somewhere, like, the makeup routines of synchronized swimmers and, like, what they... Because the women, yeah. synchronized it swimmers, do like wear grease full paint, face yeah? It, I don't know about grease paint, but I do know that after they put their hair in a high bun and they uh -huh. hairspray it, then they put, like, Crisco <gasps> over their hair or something to, like further waterproof ask the synchronized swimmers what, what i will their products are <laughs> get in the comments all right so cut to the next day oh really quickly jimmy like tucks her in on this makeshift couch and like kisses her on the cheek while she's asleep she hated anyway yeah. cut to the next day jimmy is fielding job offers for annette mm. apparently there's already been a dozen offers annette is awake she's feeling so much better her and her dad come over to jimmy hold on i have money I did so much money research. And he tells them that, like, that guy was from the Daily Mirror and he wanted to offer you a job doing, like, swimming simulations or whatever. Like and, a series of swims. Yeah. And apparently there's been, like, dozens of offers already, but he's turned them down. And yeah. Annette's like, what? Why did Why? you turn them down? Because Jimmy's got a better idea he's got than an idea. everyone else. And he wants yeah. to do a water carnival instead. Oh, my God. And... I would be fucking pissed if I was I know. Annette. I'd be like, please give me all of those offers. I will decide. Thank you. We did one stunt together. You're not my manager. No. Well, so this reporter apparently was wanted to pay Annette eight pounds a week to do a series of swims. So that's approximately like $1,300 a week. Mm -hmm. Pretty great. Her dad has very valid questions about oh, man. Jimmy's well, proposal. Yeah. He's like, so where would you find a tank that's large enough to do this sort of thing? And he's like... There's one already built in New York. And they're like, in New York, sir, we're in London. We just got here. We just got here like two days ago. But it's the Hippodrome. It's the Hippodrome Theater in New York. Yeah. Jimmy wants them to go. Annette and her dad are like, we just spent all our money trying to get to London. So much money. We can't afford to get to New York. And Jimmy's like, I got it. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for and it by selling Sydney. Sydney. And Doc is heartbroken. Heartbroken. They sell Sydney to pay their fare. But then this has one of my moments of joy. Doc goes over to Sydney and is just like, you know, that's showbiz. One day you're in, the next day you're out. And then they show the back of the kangaroo's head, which is obviously like a fake puppet, and see Doc. And then out of the side of the frame comes the boxing glove, which is obviously just like a random dude and just knocks Doc to the ground. It's so funny. <laughs> Man, it was so ridiculous. Anyway, they do the bill of sale 
and this is the quote, for one giant red kangaroo, health good, disposition terrible. Terrible. <laughs> 61 pounds, which is approximately $11,000. We cut to New York. We are already in New York. We do not see the passage. Nah. We see Doc God. and Dad waiting backstage at the Hippodrome. And Dad doesn't feel well. He's nervous because yeah. Annette and Jimmy are inside meeting with the general manager of the Hippodrome. And it's taking Heartburn. a while. Yeah. So Doc suggests like, hey, you know what? Let's go back to the hotel. We don't have to wait here. We don't know how long it's going to take, which is fair. Yeah. I, I liked yeah. Doc. Cut to inside the meeting. We meet the general manager of the Hippodrome. Alfred Harvey. Harper. Harper, yeah. Who is a nice man, but he turns yeah. them down for very valid reason. And he goes, look, what we're doing right now is big plays with spectacles. I can't yeah, risk con- all of that on an unknown person. With a concept. We need stories. Your proposed water ballet isn't enough. And we have the tank. The tank is for the end. The tank is not for the whole show. Which, right. valid concerns. Completely fine. Because, like, Jimmy doesn't have a fully fleshed out plot. He just sort of has a concept. Jimmy flies by the seat of his pants. Literally. Oh my god. This entire film. This whole film. Jimmy shows Alfred, the general manager, newspaper clippings of her success in London. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, these are impressive, but that's not New York. And I can't use these for New to York. To promote her. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, listen, I have a show. If you can dance, like you can come and be a chorus girl and yeah. we'll pay you. And that's fine. And that's like a way that you can sort of start moving in. But like, I can't bank entirely on your act. So Annette and Jimmy leave the theater dejected. Annette's. Mm-hmm very rational head on her shoulders. Oh, she, she knows is practical. They, they need to make money. She need, And it's not just for her, it's for her father. She wants her father to open his own music school in mm-hmm. America. And so she considers the showgirl job. It would just pay the bills. It I, wouldn't be able to, like, help her, like, take care yeah. of her dad. And she asks Jimmy what he's going to do. He goes, I, you know, I know someone up in Massachusetts near Boston that runs a carnival. I'll probably go up there and see if I can get any work. Again, yeah. flying by the seat of his pants. And she says, the reason why I got famous in London was because we did a big public swimming stunt. Let's just do that again here. You know people up in that carnival. So let's go up to Boston and start doing it there. And he's like, brilliant idea. We'll do it at Revere Beach. It'll be great. Cut to Revere Beach. We see a very bucolic beach. We also see what was, at least in America, the acceptable bathing costumes for women, which were full yes. dresses with leggings. Not yeah. ideal for actually competitive swimming. athletic swimming. More no. just like flouncing in the water. We see a couple of reporters on the beach waiting. Doc is there with the rowboat. And mm-hmm. he's like, she'll be here any minute. She'll be here any minute. And then we hear from the crowd <gasps> as Annette is led she's in a very similar bathing costume to what she wore in London which was mm-hmm. short sleeves and shorts one piece oh, yeah and one it's piece. like shorts yeah. so her legs are showing shock of yes. shocks this was not an issue in London but no. as she's being led down the beach by Jimmy she's got a towel around her shoulders but like her legs are fully exposed and the whole entire beach is shooketh Oh, man. Men are, like, crawling on their hands and knees after her. Women are are scandalized. Like, how dare she in public? Annette is taken aback by this response. And an old woman runs to get a police officer. Yeah. She gets to the water. She takes a towel off and (gasps) her arms are bare as Ah! well. Oh, my God. 
And she yeah. tries to start the swim, but a police officer is like, hey, stop it. What are you doing? You can't swim like that. She goes, but I'm swimming that far. That's going to be really hard in one of You're these You're saying that I'm supposed costumes. to do that in those? Yeah, yeah no, and he goes, I don't care. And he arrests her. Annette is arrested for indecent exposure. Yes. Cut to the apartment that they're staying in in Boston. She is furious. She's like, this yeah. is ridiculous and hypocritical. I can't believe this. Sanctimonious been... blue nose hypocrites. Love it. Yes. I've been fingerprinted. I'm like a, being treated like a common criminal. And yeah. Jimmy's like, hey, there is a line of reporters downstairs waiting to meet with you. This is the best thing that's ever happened. And you know what? Mm-hmm. You can use your arrest as a campaign against like general prudery. Any publicity is good publicity. Yeah. Yeah. Shockingly, her dad is on board with this as well. Right. I loved. He's like, listen, I will support whatever it is that you decide to do, but I think you should stay and fight this because you've done nothing wrong. Yeah. And so she says, you know what? Send the reporters up. They want to see a bathing suit. I'll show them a bathing suit. So suddenly we see several newspapers showing pictures of her in the bathing suit and like highlighting the sexist discrimination between like what's acceptable for men to wear at a beach and what's acceptable for women to wear at a beach. And then we get to the trial. This bitch actually goes to trial. Fabulous. So (laughs) we have quite a lawyer on the prosecution side i hate him he's nothing but mustache and teeth the actor did a great job and actor the did a great job were fantastic at making us hate him oh yeah essentially just this lecture of vitriol against like morality and morality and that she's corrupting people and yeah she should be arrested and sent away to prison forever and ever and ever and yeah. she fully pleads her case Mm-hmm. She fights back. She gets the judge on her side and yeah. she suggests a compromise. She goes, look, I've been a swimmer my whole life. Yeah. I'm not going to change that. I know for a fact I cannot swim in those ridiculous in a dresses and pants. It's like 20 pounds of fabric. So I propose a compromise. I have made my own bathing suit. It covers all my limbs from my toes up to my neck. She says it covers her forearms. Her arms are fully exposed. It doesn't. That's her a, arms are exposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like a sleeveless unitard, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And the judge is like, yeah. That sounds great. I'm not going to stop you from swimming. Case dismissed. Cut to later at this carnival on the Revere Beach. Annette has her own show with Jimmy. Huge marquee. Like Annette Kellerman. Yeah. Gorgeous aquatic marvel. And her one dad piece swimming has a suit. job. Her yeah. dad has a job playing the playing organ. The organ. And honestly, the show is a little bit silly for us modern day people. It's like her showing different strokes, how to swim. And I'm just like, okay, doing some like very basic swan dives. Then cut to six weeks later. The show's still running. The dives have gotten a little fancier. She's doing some flips now. Cut to nine weeks it's been running. The diving board has gotten a little bit higher. So it's like they're still expanding the act. Costumes are getting like a little bit different colors. And Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's been nine weeks of this show we see the show end and she goes back to her dressing room jimmy comes to visit her and there's clearly chemistry between them there was always chemistry before but now it's been kindled so they kiss they have a big 50s like mash was this supposed to be their first kiss no there was no lead up for it it felt like no (laughs) i literally have big 50s mouth mash kiss definitely not a first kiss though (laughs) so then the carnival is starting to pack up so it's like it's the end of summer They sort of have to move on. They're not going to stay around for winter in Boston. It's just not going to happen. I don't blame Um, you. And there is a new attraction at the carnival that is Mm -hmm. packing up. It's like newer and it's 
a pilot who has his own small airplane. Yeah. And he does tricks and he goes high. And yeah. Jimmy's kind of eyeing it already, being He's like, like that is I think awesome. I want to combine the show with Annette and this plane guy. It's mm-hmm. like Marvels of the Sea and Sky. It's like King of the Sky, Queen of the Sea, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, that's it. This conversation is happening in the office at the yeah. carnival. While Jimmy's just like daydreaming. Doc yeah. is, just has to do all the bookkeeping. Justice for I, Doc. We have so much more money now. The bookkeeping's so much harder. I know. <laughs> And he's like, and what happened to this $200 marked personal? And Jimmy pulls out an engagement ring. That would be $6,000 today. Thank you, math. I did so much math. Um, He's talking about expanding the act and how he wants to propose to Annette and he's going to do it today. And just then Annette comes driving up in a carriage with another guy. Jimmy goes out to welcome them. This is Mr. Aldrich. So Mr. Aldrich has offered Annette a lot of money to do a 10-week speaking tour, like a lecture circuit. And Jimmy reacts poorly. Oh, yeah. Like the 50s man he is. He is absolutely disgusted by this idea. He thinks it's ridiculous. And kind of in like a backwards way of what her dad was saying earlier, being like, she's not going to do lectures. She's going to swim. Like, that's what she's a star at. And the guy, Aldrich, is like, so you think it's more dignified for her to swim in a tank like a seal than do a 10-week lecture series about... Swimming and, and health and wellness how that and helped like, her in terms of her physical health yeah. and like and Jimmy does not like this guy like calling him sort of like a cheap circus guy and so he's like you should get a taste for the pool and goes to throw this guy into the pool oh my gosh and then when Annette comes to his defense he goes go get ready the show's in 20 minutes like he yeah fully pushes her away yeah. And she storms off. She does the show. Mr. Aldrich is in the audience and he applauds her and Sullivan Loves sees it. And is just kind of grumpy. Steaming. And so he comes backstage and he apologizes and they hug. And it's not Annette a is good like, apology. It's not a good apology. It's like, I'm sorry, you know how crazy I get. Uh-uh. Anyway. <laughs> but she it. says, she's like, hey, look, I want to do this Aldrich deal. It's $500 a week. Yeah. And whatever her feelings are for Jimmy, she's been worried about finances for so long. Well, and she says, like, this is the reason why we did this. We yeah. did this to make money. And this is a really good opportunity. We're closing down here soon. Yeah. He accuses her of getting a big head. And she's like, listen, we're just capitalizing on this sensation of me in this swimsuit. And that's not going to be a sensation for that much longer once people get used to it and it starts expanding. And he's like, well, you know, Aldridge is just trying to capitalize on something that I put together. And she's like, what? Mm-hmm. Surprise. Jimmy was the one who orchestrated her getting arrested. Yeah, he admits he got the cop on the beach in the first place. And he reminds her that they're both from lower classes. Like, who do you think you are trying mm-hmm. to rise above this carnival circuit? We're both just carnies. And he says, wet, you're terrific dry you're just a nice girl who should settle down and get married and i'm like this is the worst marriage proposal i have seen since darcy in pride and prejudice (laughs) it's like yeah you know how beneath my station you are let's get married (laughs) she says if if i ever want to get married i will never marry someone like you yeah she storms out and Jimmy goes back into the office where Doc is and he sees the pilot and he gets the idea that I, he's going to follow this guy to Florida. Um, and he's like, it was crazy to build a show around the whims of a woman. Great. <sighs> Hate it. Um, this was 1900. This was 1900. This was 1900. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, so anyway, 
Cut to Annette speaking to Mr. Aldrich sort of about the lecture tour. What he's describing is very fancy and not at all interesting. So she's like... It pays well and you don't have to be... like. I get like her passion is swimming. I totally get that. But he's making it seem like, oh, you'll be in a ball gown for this. But like... And then you'll dance. (laughs) Yeah. And he was like, you like to do ballet, right? And she says, I'm sorry, I just can't see myself doing this. She's going to turn down his proposal. Mm-hmm. And Aldrich Lee is being like, look, I'm not going to stick around with this offer. Yeah. If you change your mind, better do Let it me quickly. Know. Her dad comes to visit her at that moment. Mm-hmm. And surprise, surprise, she has received a telegram from the Hippodrome general manager being like, hey, remember when I said no? We're changing up our act. Yeah, we're going to do variety acts now. And we want you to come to New York. Yeah. And they're inviting her to be one of the headliners with a bunch of these other really famous yeah, performers. Yeah, like Sousa and... Uh, Pavlova. Yeah, and Pavlova the dancer. And yeah. she gets immediately like super, super excited and then super sad because this is what Jimmy would have wanted. About like Jimmy would Jimmy would have been super excited, and so she gets upset that he's not there to experience this. And without even saying anything, Dad immediately clocks what's going on. He goes, I know this is a lover's quarrel. Nothing to patch it up like good news. Yeah, like, go visit Jimmy. Go give him this news. So she goes to the carnival. The carnival's still happening in some parts. It's winding down for the season, but she goes, and the office is closed up. Her tank is closed up. There's, like, a rope covering it, and everyone is gone. Doc and Jimmy have left without Mm -hmm. saying goodbye. What a dick. She learns from a groundskeeper that he's gone to Florida, as we mentioned, for the plane. And the groundskeeper's like, didn't he tell you? And she pretends that she knew all along. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just so stupid. But she's hated that. Um, Yeah, so she's very dejected, and she leaves the circus. So cut to the Hippodrome. Cut to the Um, Hippodrome. Oh, my God. I don't understand how this is fun for people to watch. Okay, I had, can we ha- we're going to have this conversation now? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I so, think so. The Hippodrome, have you ever seen Cirque du Soleil? No. Okay. Obviously, most of Cirque du Soleil is in a circus tent and it's yes. acrobatics and it's high wires. Right. Cirque du Soleil has a show in Vegas that's a water show. Okay. And that's the next generation of what these, okay. like, synchronized swimming like, had this be? huge popularity in the early 1900s, mostly because of Annette Kellerman. Yeah. And I had the same thought where I was like, who's sitting? It's like sitting in Madison Square Garden. Like, it's a one. huge venue. Like, just watching. I know people did it. Also, remember, it's a variety show. So they yeah. saw a musician, they saw a clown, they saw a dancer. Yeah. And probably the first time of any of these audience members seeing something like that, like, we're spoiled. Like, we've gone to the theater forever. Yeah. I'm just talking about sight lines, really. Oh, uh, terrible. <laughs> Horrible, right? Like, people Horrible. in the balcony, great. Everyone in the orchestra is just like, all I see is a leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which... Once the sets get bigger and more extravagant, then, bit, then there's more better. to look at. It makes more when sense. When it's just her swimming around. <laughs> and I had that thought in what we're about to describe, which is as we start to see her act of, from the audience, this must be so boring, but the way they shot this, they were getting camera angles from above yeah, and they were getting them like very close cool. up. So that's the way to see it. Yeah. Like it's yeah. just going to be one person in a tank. But we're at the Hippodrome. Annette has last billing, but she's on the marquee under three other names. And I wrote, oh my God, it's like Vegas. It's like, yeah. oh, which is a Cirque du Soleil show. Honestly, I might include that as my homework. I'm going to li- send some links of what O is like. Okay. It's yeah. Million Dollar Mermaid walked so O could run. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> 
Um, so we see her first performance, and it's very much just her swimming around. And then there's we water get features. There water are like features, lights, pushing. And there fountains. is a very large dive, which was very nice. So then we cut to backstage. Annette is watching Pavlova, the ballerina that's on the headline, dance. And I'm pretty sure this is the White Swan dance from Swan Lake. I believe so. And Pavlova was a real person. Yes, she very much was. So she finishes and she comes off the stage and Annette runs after her. And this is my moment of joy. So Annette runs after her and she's like, I've always wanted to be able to dance like you. And she's like, oh, did you study ballet? And she's like, yeah, a bit. And she was just like, I can tell from your act. I've seen it. It's wonderful. I love that you've taken what you've learned from ballet and turned it into something new and something exciting. And, you know, people tell me that there's no one else that dances like Pavlova, but one day they're going to say that about you. And I'm just like, (laughs) oh, my God. It was a really good. It was a that really good scene moment. Passes the Bechdel test. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. It's just like super, super validating of the journey that Annette has been on, yeah. and wanting to dance, and then finding a way to do what she wanted to do despite her difficulties. Yeah. Ugh, Once Pavlova walks off, Alfred, the general manager of the Hippodrome, comes up to Annette. He goes, "Hey," and I think he gives her a bonus. It's like yeah, an, or, it's like a a, or an envelope. extension or something. Well, it's not an extension because he reminds her that she has still not signed her contract for the next year. Right, so it's right. been a year of performances. She's been offered another contract. Mm-hmm. And and he I, I, I invites her to, yeah. yeah, I think it was a bonus. So and he is like, I'm throwing a dinner, like a dinner party for Pavlova. Please come. It would be really nice if you were there. And she's like sort of hedges around it. And just then her dad walks in. And uh, he's like, is she a hermit or in mourning? Because I keep inviting her to events and she just doesn't come. And her dad's like, well, she's coming this time because we are going to celebrate that I have been offered a position as one of the orchestra in next year's season for the Hippodrome. So this manager, Alfred, has hired Annette's dad as a part of that, and she's which is really so nice. Happy. She's over the moon. So she walks back to her dressing room. She's like, it's so great. We're going to get to work together. I couldn't be happier. And he's like, Really? <laughs> Bully calls her bluff. Yeah. He's like, I know you're still pining after mm-hmm. Jimmy. And in fact, I've got a report on him. I, I don't know how he got this report. I don't know he hired a private Magic. investigator. But her dad pulls out a piece of paper and reads to her the report that it turns out Jimmy what did go down to Florida with mm-hmm. that flying act. But then the pilot crashed on the second day and he's been on the road ever since. Yeah, he's been around. He's been like to Chicago and he's been to New Orleans and stuff like that. And she's like, I really want to find him. This Hippodrome thing was all his idea to begin with. And then her dad says the best <gasps> The best line. line. This is my moment of joy. You take it because I already I already okay. got mine with Pavlova. Okay. But she says like, oh, my last argument with Jimmy was so stupid. This film is set in 1900. Yeah. Her dad looks her in the eyes, says, you mustn't confuse love with loyalty. You owe nothing to anybody in the world. Hell yeah, dad. Not to him, not to me. And I'm like, fuck yeah, dad. And then he has some really interesting insight. He goes, look, I know the kind of man Jimmy is. Mm -hmm. And he's only going to come back to you when he feels like he has something to offer. Right. And he definitely doesn't like that Annette was being more successful than he was. He only managed her initially to bring an attraction to his existing attraction. And then she outshone everything else Mm -hmm. that he could have offered this is like annie get your gun all over again (laughs) annie get your gun in a pool in a pool (laughs) 
I don't know why that's so funny to me. Anyway, cut to time. Time more passes. More shows. Her dad is now the conductor, and we see her go from having top billing on the Hippodrome, and we see her new act. There are so many synchronized swimmers. So many. And the swimmers. act is getting bigger, fancier. There are fire features now. Then mm-hmm. we see the Hippodrome marquee again, and, and it's just her name. Her. It, well, it was her name before, but we don't even need, like, the swimming marble. Australian like, mermaid or whatever. Like, her name is enough. Yeah. And she does a full underwater ballet with two stripper poles. Yeah. It's very nice. Again, not sure how that reads from, like, the back of the house, but, you no. know. You know, it worked on a movie. That's fine. This is the point where I put, is there no singing in this entire movie? It's billed <gasps> as a musical. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Anyway, then drama oh god okay the show's over for that night she gets backstage like a couple people pass her and she says hi to them they don't really greet her and they kind of look at her nervously then alfred the general manager Mm -hmm. comes up to her and he's like let's get you out of here but she sees a crowd having formed and she runs towards the crowd and we just hear the strangled cry of dad yeah her father has very suddenly passed away yeah i think he had a heart attack so we see a newspaper that says that rights will be held at Trinity Church, cut to Jimmy and Doc. So they're reading in the newspaper about his passing. Wherever they are, they're in like a shitty airplane hangar. Jimmy mm-hmm. and Doc are essentially being do-it-yourself mechanics trying to restore... Build an airplane! An Wild. airplane. You know what I have no experience in? Aeronautic Aviation. engineering. You know what I'm going to do anyway? Build my own Build airplane. an airplane and then fly it cross country? Because I have an insatiable ego. Oh my god, it's ridiculous. Doc says, hey, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you should go see Annette. Yeah. Her father just died and he doesn't sad. go. Nope. Turns out Jimmy's building this airplane to do this cross country air race that a bunch of other people are in. Yeah, it's like a big competition of who can make it. Yeah, so we see Annette and Alfred get, oh, uh, they're come out of a carriage outfit. together. <gasps> this outfit? She had great outfits. We she see did. Alfred and Annette get out of this carriage. They're going backstage at the Hippodrome. They're like, gonna go do the show for the night. This is when she has the white hat, right? Yeah. It's like the big white fur hat. Fucking love a hat. And as they get into the theater, they learn about the air race. And then they get to the theater and surprise, and Doc is there. Doc is there. Doc has yeah. come to surprise. She's so happy to see Doc. She gives him a big hug. Oh, yeah. She asks about Jimmy, and she introduces Alfred. And Alfred's like, "Very nice to meet you. I gotta go do my work. Uh, I go gotta go do for the thing. show. Yeah, like whenever you have a chance. Not like Jimmy yeah. ordering her to do the show. Or no, whatever. he's just like, yeah, you know, the show's in thirties. Uh, as long as you're there when it's done, all good. And so. Doc has come because he is very afraid for Jimmy. So they've built this airplane, which is horrible. And he's like, he's going to kill himself. He's doing this race because the prize is $50,000. And he's convinced that he can win. And it's going to fly to California. And I just, I need you to come and try and talk him out of it. Because I have tried and he won't listen. And Annette is like, listen, I have a show tonight, but as soon as I'm done, I'll head over so I can try and make it and stop this. Because Jimmy's going to take off from Montauk. So she'll finish the show in New York and then head out. Oh, and Doc's like, don't tell Jimmy I told you to come out. Then we see the show. This is the wildest. This is the swings. This is the swing and the smoke. There is. It is insane. It's bonkers town. And also it does that really annoying thing where set changes happen in an instant. Instantaneously. Instantaneous. Anyway, the anyway, show so happens. So now it's men and women uh, swimming together and it's like a whole spectacle. It's a deal. Yeah. It is Vegas. Cut to the next day yes. in Montauk. 
they're on the airfield. Jimmy and Doc are there when there's a bunch of reporters there mm-hmm. and a bunch of well-wishers. And Jimmy's about to take off, but Doc keeps trying to delay him just to be like, no, maybe we should wait for the weather. And uh, he's just hoping that Annette will get there. Just then, Annette arrives on the airfield and they won't let her in, but she... So she bamboozles a cop. She, she bamboozles a cop and like runs under the rope bridge and runs around the plane just in time to see Jimmy talking to a couple well-wishers and kissing a blonde woman. And then oh. she calls his name and he turns around and he fucking mocks her. Yeah, he's just like, oh, hi, sweetness. I hated that. that. And then the cop comes in. Yeah, and he's like, should I take her away? And he's like, don't you recognize the famous lecturer, Miss Kellerman? And I'm like, what a dick. And she's like, I don't care what happens to you, but like, this is dangerous for Doc. He's my friend. I don't want him to die. And he's like, Doc's not going up in the plane. He's driving the repair car. And she's like, don't force me to take drastic action. And so she has a lawyer at the ready to serve him papers for payment that he never made for her. And so this is the moment where she's like, I went through all of the books from when we worked together and there's $200 missing. So what happened to that $200? And he's like, oh, right. And then pulls this ring off of his chain necklace and is just like, here, this was for you. You can sell it. And what? What a dick. Sell it like she had to sell her trophies for his show. (gasps) I just. And also he just carried that engagement ring on a chain. On his neck. What an insane human. Anyway. He's problematic. But he takes off. Yeah. It actually leaves the ground. It actually leaves the ground. But we get a newspaper article of other people dropping out of the race. And then he almost crashed. And then finally, he's lost in a storm. And they don't know where he is. Yeah. Cut to a nice dinner with Annette and Alfred. Everyone in the restaurant is talking about the air race. And they're all kind of laughing like, oh, Sullivan, he won't, he won't make it. No. And Alfred and Annette are at dinner. And Alfred can tell that people talking about Jimmy is making Annette upset. And he mm-hmm. knows, he says to her, he's like, I know you want Jimmy to win. I know you've had feelings for him in the past. I just want you to know that, like, I, me, who's always been here, I love you. And I think I can make you happy. And also, he's like, listen, he's a will-o'-the-wisp. He he has his feet in the air and his head in the ground where he can't see anything. (laughs) What? Is that what he said? Something like that. I don't know. He says his His feet are like 20. in the air and his head in the ground. Where it's just like. like his head's in the clouds kind of a. Yeah, but it's just like he's so blinded by his wild ideas that he's not a solid person to to rely on. He's a carny looking to make a quick buck and she's the big time now. She's out of his league and I'm like, correct. Correct, correct, correct. We need more people like Alfred. Thank you, Alfred. Team Alfred proposes to her he's like i would like you to marry me and yeah. she says contrary to what you may believe this is my first marriage proposal and i think and I, I, I need a second overwhelmed yes just then the maitre d interrupts the dinner being like i'm so sorry to interrupt your dinner uh we've had a news bulletin about some results from the air race and he lists these people are still going these people crashed and jimmy sullivan has crashed he is out of the race he crashed somewhere in like upstate new york like he didn't yeah. make it very far he did not make it far <laughs> And he's been taken to a hospital there. And that's like, I have to call. I have to, like, she, like, leaves the dinner. She goes to the nearest phone. She calls the hospital. And they say, oh, that plane guy? Yeah, he just was busted up. But he's fine. He actually is gone now. So she can't even reach him. And Alfred sees how tormented she is. 
cut to later around Christmas. A Hollywood producer is there speaking with Alfred. He's like, I want Annette for my new movie, Neptune's Daughter. And Alfred says, listen, we'll have to run this by Annette. She makes her own decisions. So thank you for bringing this to me. I will bring it to her and we'll discuss our options from there. I loved this line because Alfred was like, hey, I... She actually gets a voice in this, and I'm not just going to say yes on her behalf. Yeah. This meeting takes place in Alfred's office at the Hippodrome. And he's like, look, we'll talk later. We're actually having a Christmas party right now for a bunch of kids from, like, an orthopedic hospital. You want to come? And the Hollywood producer's like, uh, no. Absolutely not. (laughs) But so Alfred leaves his office, goes downstairs, and comes to the stage to see where all the performers of the show are entertaining these kids. Like, there's clowns doing acrobatic tricks, and all the kids from the orthopedic hospital have braces on their legs or in wheelchairs or have, like, some kind of, like, broken bone. And we see Annette going around with a big wagon giving a toy to every single child and giving them special attention and then she sees one girl has braces on her legs just like she has so she makes a special point to pick like a beautiful doll and she gives it to the girl yeah and at this point alfred Alfred. kind of like where's my gift yeah she's like where's my gift and she's like oh let me grab you something here he goes i don't need anything All I want is an answer to the question that I asked you last June. It's been six months. Uh, So she hasn't answered. But she looks at him. She has a funny smile on her face of like, oh, right. Oh, okay. And she thinks about it. She's like, you know what? Yeah, I really like this guy. So the next thing we see is a newspaper headline that they are engaged. Mm -hmm. But they're first going to go to California to film this movie that we just learned about. And then they're going to have the wedding and the honeymoon after that. So cut to a cross-country train. Yeah. Surprise. Uh, Who should be on this train but Jimmy? So Annette and Alfred are walking down the hallway to their car. And through a cracked door Annette hears a very familiar voice and she peeks in and who does she see but Jimmy who is being a traveling salesman for Native American blankets and and jewelry he's got Doc dressed up as a Native American man in a full outfit with brown brown face face. yeah bad not great Dan whomever they are selling this (gasps) to this man this this poor man man. none of it poor Poor man who's just like, can you just leave me alone? alone. I'm not cold. I don't want a blanket. I don't wear jewelry. Please leave my space. He leaves and he moves on to the next carriage, who, of course, is Annette and Alfred. It's awkward. Yeah, and he's like, you know, congratulations on your wedding. I saw it in the paper and your movie. That's really great. I have a plan to be in the movie, too. I actually have my new star on this train. And so he ends up leaving and... The door doesn't really fully close. And so we hear Annette and Alfred hear this whole conversation where the train conductor comes out with like a dog on a leash and is like, I told you not to take this dog out of the baggage car. And Jimmy's like, that dog's going to be a movie star. So I don't know what your problem is. And the guy's like, I don't give a shit. I told you to keep the dog away from the passengers. You need to go put him back. And then the conductor looks at Doc and being like, wait, I kicked you off this train. Like, Doc has not paid his fare. They probably can't afford a fare no. for both of them. So the conductor kind of grabs them both by the back of their collars and moves them down the hallway. And Annette's like, I'm going to go help. Like, I'm going to go pay yeah. Doc's fare or, like, whatever it is. Yeah, and Doc is my sorry, friend. Alfred offers first. And that's like, you know what? I'll handle it. Oh, right. Yeah. 
And she goes, they're kind of like in between the two carriages and she's about to go in there, but then she overhears that Jimmy has fully swindled this, this conductor oh being like, you know what? How much do you make in a year? You can make so much more in Hollywood. It's like, we just need you to go in with this dog. He's going to be a star. We're going to make movies with him. Wild. Yeah. And Annette kind of smiles to herself being like, ah, yep, that's the Jimmy I knew. All right, I forgot. <laughs> yep. And so... we also learn that this dog is named Rin Tin Tin. Yes, he is. As in the famous Rin Tin Tin. And oh, yes. Jimmy kind of shows that the dog is very well trained. Yada, yada, yeah. yada. We cut to a movie lot. Several different scenes are being filmed all over for a bunch of different movies. This is the last day that Annette is on set. She has one final bit that she has to film. And then the next day, her and Alfred are leaving for their honeymoon. So it's this one big dive into this huge tank of water. And then a bunch of other girls dressed as mermaids are going to dive in and swim around her. This tank is like 50,000 gallons. It is huge. And the director is like, we we should add more water. And the safety technician is like, that's just glass. Like, we made it pretty strong. But like, that's still a lot. We should probably hold. And the director's like, okay, okay, no more water. We'll be fine. That's called foreshadowing. Yeah. The director's like, all right, we're ready for Annette in five minutes. And Alfred, who is on set, is like, you know what? I'll go get her. He goes to visit her in her trailer. And she greets him. And she's like, thank you so much for your patience. Waiting until we did this movie. He goes, I've actually been very impatient. Impatient. very impatient to marry you. Because I love you. And there's this quick moment where she starts starts looking looking for something. And can't find what she's looking for. And Alfred notices an engagement ring on the ground he goes is is this what you're looking for and she's like oh silly me yeah that's just a it's a it's a good luck charm i like to wear it i wear it for all of my dives this is the ring that jimmy gave her yes and i think this is the moment where alfred realizes like she's never gonna love me as much as she loves jimmy yeah but she she runs off trying to avoid him because he's not looking happy yeah she arrives on set she climbs up the ladder up 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 this last shot that they have to do is her character diving off of an incredibly high diving board into this tank mm-hmm. and then the other mermaids will jump in so she goes up to the top it's all set up the director calls action she does this beautiful dive mm-hmm. into the tank they're rolling and the camera's going and she starts doing like whatever the action is that they want her to do in the tank yep. and then the glass starts to crack and at first, no one notices, but once it's, like, cracked a couple of times, someone notices and yells, yeah, the get her tech. out of there. The safety tech from before is, like, sees it in the corner and is, like, get her out of there. The glass is about to go. But, of course, she's underwater, so she can't really hear them. All she sees is, like, them waving. And so she starts to try and, like, swim up, but then the glass breaks and explodes out everything is rolled out in this huge wash of water including her and she suffers a severe injury yeah she's fully ejected from the tank the next thing we see is a newspaper bulletin saying annette has had a spinal injury that could potentially end her career the Mm -hmm. doctors aren't sure yeah cut to the hospital jimmy is at the hospital in california and he's trying to sweet talk the nurse he's like look i've been waiting for two weeks i need to see her but the nurse is not Not feeling it staunchly saying like no listen doctors no visitors just then alfred waltzes into the hospital with a dozen red roses and sees jimmy trying to get to see annette alfred's allowed in because he's her fiance yeah but he says you know what this guy was with me me. he can come up so they go upstairs jimmy asks team alfred because holy shit is he just a nice guy anyway in the elevator, Jimmy's like, how is she? And Alfred says, you know, we're going to know this morning. The doctors are going to give us kind of like their final prognosis. Update. Yeah. 
They go to her room. The doctor comes out of her room to talk to them in the hallway. He goes, He's like, look. She shouldn't have any visitors today. And here's why. We operated yeah. on her. We're glad we operated on her. We relieved the pressure. She had a spinal hematoma. Yeah. But she may not have use of her legs for a while or ever again. Yeah. And after the surgery, she asked how it went. And we tried not to tell her, but she really, really made us tell her. So she knows now. Yeah, And exactly. you might want to give her some space because that's obviously a lot Very for her hard. process. As this conversation is happening, Alfred and the doctor are walking towards the elevator and they sort of assume that Jimmy is behind them. Foolish. So Wait, Alfred, one more thing. Yeah. The doctor says, you know, at this point, we've done everything we can do. Yeah. However she recovers is going is to up be to up her. to her. Is up to yeah. her will, her determination. Yes. So Alfred turns to say something to Jimmy, but of course he's not there. Jimmy has snuck into Annette's room. No shit. He tells her, you know, I've been here every day for two weeks. This is the first time I've been able to get up to see you. You'll be up in about no time. And he says, I just finished up my movie with Rin Tin Tin. It went better than expected. Everyone really seems to like it. I'm taking the final print to New York tonight. And then Annette sort of starts to break down a little bit. And Jimmy's like, listen, the doctors know a lot about medicine, but they don't know anything about you. And I know you and you've beat this before whenever you were a kid. They don't know the young girl who hobbled her way until she could swim, who swam before she could walk. You did it once. You can do it again. He's very supportive. For the first time ever. Ever. And he's like, and you and Alfred will do this together. So he's not even like trying to insert himself really. He's like very aware. It's like you and Alfred are together. You guys are going to beat this together. He'll be your support. And just at that moment, Alfred comes in and he basically is like, Jimmy, you're an idiot for letting her get away once, but I know when I'm beaten and I'm giving you a second chance. He says, you are best for Annette. Yeah. And Alfred says, I give you my blessing to Annette. He goes, you're going to be up and running again in no time. And when you're feeling better, I'm going to hold you to your contract in New York. And so, like, it's clearly, like, okay Alfred. between three of them. He gives the engagement ring to Jimmy. He goes, I think this belongs to you. Yep. And Jimmy goes, no, I think it belongs to you and gives it to Annette. And she puts it on. She's so kiss. happy. Tears in her eyes. Big kiss. And then she looks out her window and her hospital room conveniently looks, looks out on the ocean. ocean and sure. then roll credits <laughs> uh, yeah yeah and that's that's that that's that's and that you know movie. what wasn't in this movie singing any songs or really any, dancing any dancing it's billed as a musical and i'm kind of mad about it i feel bamboozled barring that how did you feel about this movie i had to just remind myself being like this came out in 52 so 70 years ago. Yeah. And it was a period piece when it came out. So yeah. obviously people and accents have changed a lot. <laughs> See what I did there? And acceptable yeah. behavior from men obviously. and feeling about like societal roles has changed. I thought Annette was a really interesting character. And for most mm -hmm. of the movie, I really liked her strength and yeah. her determination and her no bullshit. Yeah. They did a really good job of making Jimmy awful. And I do not feel like he yep. redeemed himself Deserved enough. her? No, no, definitely didn't deserve her. And definitely didn't redeem himself enough in my eyes. But I think in the eyes of like nope. 1952 audiences, maybe. It was enough. Yeah. So I'm fully on board with what your take was. And it was kind of wild that it ended with a kind of unclear mm -hmm. future for her, which most of the time I find 50s like, movies kind of bow. end well, with I a mean, big old bow. Think about it. They were like, well, she may never swim again, but now she's got a man. Yay. 
What are you drinking? I am drinking a very pink. Oh, is that Angry Frog? I was worried that it would be, it is not Arrogant ah, Frog. Angry um, Frog. Because they were out of it. Angry Frog. Um, I was worried it would be too sweet because I find that rosés that are very, very mm-hmm. pink tend to be a bit sweet. Oh. But it's actually quite tart. It's very nice. I'm drinking white wine out of a little jar. And it's perfect. Um, all right. Let's do a little dramaturgy report. Dramaturgy report. This was directed by Mervyn Leroy. If that sounds familiar to you, it's because we met him on Wizard of Oz. He was an American film director, producer, and screenplay writer. He is responsible for a lot of classic films. His most notable achievement is as producer for Wizard of Oz. However, he also helped direct it as there were like four different directors. He's just not credited. He was known, especially in the 30s, as one of the great practitioners of economical and effective film directing at Warner Brothers. Like, that's his, that's his superlative. Like, you are He's very good efficient. and efficient at your job. He's also well known for Gypsy. Oh, yeah. There's other films, but I don't know if any of our listeners are going to know, like, Little Caesar from 1931, and They Won't Forget from 1937. Yeah. Like, important in the yeah. day, but I don't think anyone's going to recognize that. It's not long-lasting, so, yeah. Cinematographer was George Joseph mm-hmm. Falsey, who yeah. was an American, get this, American cinematographer between 1919 and his retirement in 1976, so just under mm. 60 years. Ooh. He worked on 162 films. Holy shit. He was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Cinematography 13 times, but never won. Oh. And he was honored with the first Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Society of Cinematographers eight months before his death. Films that we know that he has done include Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Zigfield Follies, and Meet Me in St. Louis. And... The Million Dollar Mermaid. Yes. (laughs) That's it for those guys. In real life, there have been two films called Neptune's Daughter. There was also a film within this film called Neptune's Daughter. Neptune's Daughter is the name of the film that she was filming in California when she was injured. Yes. In 1914, so this is a 1952 film. In 1914, Annette Kellerman, whom this film is based on, starred and collaborated mm-hmm. with a director on a film called Neptune's Daughters. It was this like high fantasy yeah. thing. It was one of her first films. It was then remade in 1949, so three years before Million Dollar Mermaid. It was remade starring yep. Esther Williams, and the plot was dramatically mm-hmm. changed. It became this like star yes. vehicle. It's one of Esther Williams' best known films in addition to this. And Kellerman was really unhappy with how they changed it. They remade it to be a vehicle for Esther Williams. And she cried. She said, I cried about it so much at the time that I never would have agreed to let them do my life story. Obviously, things change as this film gets made. When she met Williams. Williams. So I I was very confused by all the mentions of Neptune's Daughters. So I wanted to clarify. Yeah. There are really three. There's the one within the film and then there's two actual ones. One had Esther Williams starred in it. One had Annette Kellerman in it. Exactly. So in 1947, Esther Williams wanted MGM to buy the rights of Annette Kellerman's life story as a vehicle for her. Mm -hmm. Now, there had been this backstory, which you just went through, about Neptune's daughter, where Kellerman was very unhappy with MGM about how they had changed her original film. 
And so she said, no, not going to do it. However, she ended up changing her mind when she met Williams. She really liked her and she realized, I really wanted to make my life story. I never would have thought of her for the part because she's too pretty. From the neck down, she's perfect for the casting. But from the face up, she is far too attractive. (laughs) (laughs) So Williams brought Kellerman in to meet MGM studio executives and pitched the project to them. And she says she didn't hear back for like months until she read an article that the film was being made. So they didn't even tell Mm -hmm. her. They just like announced it, which is honestly very Marvel-like. Like the MCU, people find out they're in movies because Marvel announces it. Marvel doesn't call them. (laughs) It's very funny. So it was announced MGM had signed a deal with Kellerman to make a film based on her life. It was originally going to be called The One Piece Suit. Mm -hmm. Arthur Hornblow Jr. was assigned to produce. Now, Kellerman really, really liked Hornblow. So this is a quote about him. He is the man who finds life and drama in simple things. And that really is what my story is. In the two years before we started work, I went through half a dozen scripts, all of which I rejected because they just wanted to make it a glamorous, typically Hollywood romance story. I thought they were silly and undignified. Before filming, Kellerman says she wrote the outline of the script which MGM was going to use. I insisted on the right to edit the script because I didn't want Hollywood making a mess of my life. My life has been a beautiful one and I didn't want them doing anything that would make it look cheap in any way. Good for you. So this is like the character that we saw kind of matches with that sort of tenacity Mm. and uh, moxie in terms of like fighting for her own rights to her own story, which I loved. So not much about the writer. So the writer was Everett Freeman. Obviously, the main bit of it was written by Kellerman herself. And then he sort of refined what she approved and they worked together. So he was a screenwriter. He wrote over 25 scripts in his 35-year career. I went through the list. Not many of them were recognizable at this day and age, but he had a very, very long career, which is great. Now, one thing I wanted to talk about was the music and lyrics No lyrics. The music. The guy who orchestrated and arranged it, his name was Alexander Mare Courage Jr., familiarly known as Sandy Courage. He was an American orchestrator, arranger, and composer of music, primarily for television and film, and he's best known as the composer for the theme music for the original Star Trek series. Yeah, so I'm not going to go too much into him, but I thought that was a really cool connection. That's a fun fact. Yeah. So, actors and casting... Originally, Kellerman had hoped that Glenn Ford would play her husband, Jimmy Sullivan. Kellerman said that Ford was the nearest thing I can think of to my dear husband, not too glamorous, and he implies the strength and understanding necessary for the part. My husband and I have been married for 39 years and are still just as thrilled with each other as we ever were. Our film is no love story with misunderstandings and scandals. It's just a good, clean story. That's the way we lived our lives. So well, apparently, that didn't quite translate. That didn't quite translate through. Yeah, they had to um, judge it up for audience. Exactly. So the part went to Victor Mature, who had recently had a big hit in Samson and Delilah. Kellerman later said she thought the film's depiction of her husband was the antithesis of the character mm-hmm. in real life. He was quiet, unassuming, and never did anything cheap. She said that friends would tease her husband in real life about that casting choice for him. Um, Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about Esther Williams, because this really was a vehicle for her, and she was the one who got this film made. So she was an American competitive swimmer and actress. She set regional and national records in her late teens in the Los Angeles Athletic Club swim team. 
Unable to compete in the 1940 Summer Olympics because of World War II, she joined Billy Rose's Aquacade, where she took on the role vacated by Eleanor Holm after the show's move from New York City to San Francisco. Williams then caught the attention of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's scouts at the Aquacade. After appearing in several small roles and alongside Mickey Rooney and Van Johnson in A Guy Named Joe, Williams made a series of films in the 1940s and early 50s known as Aqua Musicals which featured elaborate performances with synchronized swimming and diving, but no singing. This is where the misnomer of this as a moving musical originates. Exactly. So every year from 1945 to 1949, Williams had at least one film among the 20 highest grossing films of the year. In 1952, she appeared in the only biographical role as Australian swimming star Annette Kellerman, the movie Million Dollar Mermaid. That went on to become her nickname while she was at MGM. And it was also the title of her memoir. So she left MGM in 1956 and appeared in a handful of unsuccessful feature films, followed by several extremely popular water-themed network television specials. She was also known as a successful businesswoman. Before retiring from acting, she invested in a service station, a metal products plant, a manufacturer of bathing suits, various properties, and a successful restaurant chain known as Trails. She's a very cool lady. All right. Okay, so as we have mentioned wildly, this was a box office success. And after it was released, it was reported that the director met with Kellerman, like talk about a sequel that would cover Kellerman's career later as a film star and all her wartime work for the Red Cross. However, it never came to fruition. Yeah. This was nominated, as we've mentioned, this was one of George Falsey's 13 (laughs) cinematography Oscar nominations, but it did not win. That's all I have for ratings and reviews. Yeah. It's got and, good uh, reviews. It's just yeah. a it's wild just fucking movie. It's dated. Yeah. And there's no singing and dancing, so we can't really go yeah. into that. I don't know much about synchronized swimming, so Literally, I don't really have I wrote, a lot of comments on that. Let's talk about synchronized swimming. <laughs> um, I will say, because I looked into this, I was like, all right, let me see what aqua musicals were. Yeah. And if we're calling this film a musical, I found something that stated that this film is based on true facts. Yep. And... This film kind of broke the tradition and structure of movie musicals in the sense that there's not songs kind of sprinkled throughout for plot Mm -hmm. development. There's just one big musical sequence, which is her tenure at the Hippodrome. So everything from her first performances to the big montage with the underwater ballet and the smoke. And And then the final uh, swig one. Yeah. Yeah. They're saying like that big musical performative feet means and like all the synchronized swimming aka dancing yeah we'll call it a musical it is yeah, not it's, in fact it's not a musical it's okay okay do you do a do you gripes and giggles gripes and giggles great my gripe justice for alfred justice for alfred my gripe is the ending so they can only be together because he now has everything and she's uh yeah. has nothing she has to so rely on he's him. he's only cool with the relationship if he's the one who who can provide everything. Didn't like that. Didn't like that. Um, giggles? For me, it's that fucking kangaroo. God damn it. <laughs> that fake kangaroo head and then just the, the fist coming out of this left, like, camera right. It was so funny. My giggle <laughs> is her... It, it's a moment of joy instead of a giggle. But yeah. It's her dad being like, you don't confuse love and loyalty. Like, you don't owe anything yeah. to anyone. 
And then my moment of joy was the conversation that she had with Pavlova, where it was just women supporting women. I loved it. It was so great. I don't know if I had a giggle. Did we have a waiter? Yeah, we had a waiter. We had, um, because we had, Doc is our goon. Oh, yeah, Um, absolutely. Jimmy is 100% our gangster. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, our, our waiters are the guys on the ship in the Thames being like, can we help you? <laughs> Do you need a life vest? <laughs> I'm just a sailor and I see someone in the water. Do you need it's, help? I'm doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I buy that. Um, Great. Do you have fun facts? I have a single fun Do fact. Do yours. It has nothing specifically to do about this film, but it is about the director. Great. Apparently, Mervyn Leroy, our director, is credited with introducing Ronald Reagan to Nancy Reagan. <laughs> 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 That's it. That's my fun fact. Fabulous. I Can't love it. Couldn't find anything um, about this film f- other than what you're about to talk about. Yeah, my fun fact is the injury that Esther Williams sustained during this. So she broke her neck upon impact when performing the film's signature high dive. So she wrote in her memoir that she was already disoriented on top of the platform because she had broken her eardrums after years of working underwater. And when she dove, she knew that the headdress of her costume was too heavy and that it was going to be bad, but she had already dove and she heard her neck pop when she hit the water and when she reached the surface she could kick her legs but her upper body was paralyzed and she had to be helped out of the pool an x-ray revealed that she had broken three vertebrae and williams writes i'd come as close to snapping my spinal cord and becoming a paraplegic as you could without actually succeeding so i looked more into this Mm -hmm. and this i think this is pulled directly from her memoir so i do want to read her memoir um Yes. What I read was that as soon as she hit the water, like, that was the end of the take. So the director called lunch, and everyone left the set, and she was just, like, actively drowning. She, like, saw <gasps> her life flash before her eyes, and it wasn't until she was able to get the attention of one of her dresser, who was at first, like, stop kidding around, like, come on, we need to get you out of that costume. Yeah, I'm, I want to go to lunch. It was then the dresser realized, like, oh, fuck, like, you're actually drowning. So she called to, like, random stagehands over, they dragged her out of the pool, but... Instead of just, like, cutting her out of the costume, like, tried to stay save the costume and, like, pulled it off, but, like, put her through so much agony because her fucking neck was broken. And then she was in a body cast for seven months. Oh, my God. Of course they tried to save the costume. Um, Wild. I think my only homework... Anna, you're going to send me clips of... Yeah, I have two things of homework. I have... If you want to imagine what this would look like... In 2022, I'm going to send the trailer for O. And if you want real homework, go to Vegas. Go see O. Go to Vegas. (laughs) But my actual, like, homework homework is read the history of the Hippodrome. Just because it's come Mm. up twice now in our movies. And I actually, I knew it was this big theater in New York, but I looked it up. And obviously it doesn't exist anymore. But I realized now I know where it is. It's just a big office center. It's, like, mixed use. I've walked past it a million times. Without yeah. realizing this was what where the, the history is was. of that location. Yeah, because it was raised yeah. to the ground. Like, it, it does not resemble the old building anymore. It is a glass cube. Yeah. The space is called the Hippodrome Center. Oh, that's cool. What's your homework? Oh, I, I, did, I didn't have any. Oh, oh my gosh. Say, yeah. I was going to be wow. like, I don't know, look up when Australian accents changed. <laughs> Yo, actually, I'm curious. I'm curious. Yeah. I'm going to look that up now. But I do think that's all she wrote. This yeah. 
has been five, six, seven, eight, a movie musical podcast. This was not a musical. Nope. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. Next time it's our 30th episode and I chose a classic. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I've been Anna. I'm still Grace. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Five, six, seven, eight. There's no business like show business like no business I know.